0: Scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 13. One day, when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom comes. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked. And my children and I are in bed. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I was made aware of a new phrase this week. I was listening to public radio, and they had a story about um, a, a, a little phrase, two words that's used to... Uh, put people in their place. Uh, The the phrase is, okay, boomer. It's directed to baby boomers, and it's usually directed to baby boomers by younger people. And it's a way, I didn't know about this. Have any of you heard this before? Okay. Uh, Have any of you had it said to you before? Okay, good. Um, (laughs) But the idea is, Okay, boomer, I understand life because I'm younger than you are. I don't need to listen to you, and your opinions are so outdated that they really don't matter anymore because you are older, and I am not. And therefore, okay, boomer, be quiet. That's my cue, right? We thought this might happen. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay, so. The younger people think the older people don't understand because the younger people still have their great ideals and the older people have sort of come to terms with some things in life that aren't quite right. Also, the younger people believe that the older people have messed up the world and so much that the younger people have to fix it. Now, the irony is, and NPR actually even pointed this out, was that those people that they are calling old and out of touch and, like, not understanding how the world works were... A number of years ago, in the very same position that the younger people are now, protesting, thinking that they had the world right, telling their parents and grandparents that they had messed up the world beyond even being able to fix it. And then they wondered, will the people who come after them, their grandchildren, say, to them, these people who are young now and who won't be young forever, okay millennial, you're so out of touch, you were born way back at the turn of the century. And will they continue to criticize those who are younger than them now as the older criticize the younger, and the younger criticize the older. Uh, I'm reminded, well, actually, I came across a quote that um, explains this, or, or is a good caution for us. Eric Erickson, who is uh, a psychologist, well known, well written, uh, wrote a lot, a psychologist, said this Each individual must learn how to hold the extremes of life stages in tension with one another, not rejecting the one end of the tension or the other. It is only when both extremes in life are accepted as both required and useful that the virtues of life surface. Thus, basic trust and basic mistrust must both be understood and accepted in order for real hope to emerge. In other words, it is important for those who are idealistic in their youth to respect the wisdom of those who have lived longer it is also important for those who have lived longer to respect where that idealism of youth comes from remembering that they once had similar idealism maybe around other topics it reminds me of a time uh, in when i was a younger person when I was a youth pastor in a church and one of the kids in our youth group was very very enthusiastic he was one of those kids that just really believes in God he really wanted to serve God and he couldn't understand why everybody else couldn't believe as well as he did and serve as well as he believed we should serve and I was, he was um, up front praying at one point, and after the prayer, a woman standing next to me um, said, I miss those days. I miss those days when I could really believe. And I thought, oh, you poor thing. Because remember, I was young back then. I was still idealistic. I still believed all those things. I still believed that everything would work out the way I thought it should. And Eric Erickson said, let's build the bridge. Because if you have lost the belief that everything will work out as it should, oh, you poor thing. But if you don't have the wisdom to learn that things don't always look like they're working out the way they should, even though they are, you poor thing. It's when we understand the idealism of youth and the wisdom of age that we can bring this all together. And all of this applies to this passage in this way. In my search for resources to preach uh, this passage, I came across one that was uh, titled 11 Bible Passages that Turn Christians into Atheists. And this was one of them. Because it said, as you read this passage initially, maybe in your youth, you think ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And you assume that the door you believe needs to open, the request that you believe needs to be answered. The thing you think you need to find will be provided. And then, as you live your life, you find it doesn't always work that way the thing you thought you needed so desperately you never got, prayers that were reasonable you believed, prayers to end some, some suffering, prayers to bring healing, prayers for whatever it might be that seemed so right were not answered the way you believed they should be. And what happens to many people is they lose the belief in prayer. Because the ideal has not been met, they lose the whole thing. And this is what I'm here to help us not to allow to happen for ourselves. Jesus said, knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. Yet what what do we do when the things we ask for are not given to us? Well, I'm going to go through this passage, and hopefully by the end we'll find an answer. Initially, uh, it's about the Lord's Prayer, and it's interesting that Luke's um, version of the Lord's Prayer is different from Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Luke, who usually writes rather extensively and with a lot of detail, pretty much just gives the bullet points of the prayer here rather than um, spelling it out as much as Matthew did, and that brings us... Some thought that maybe the prayer isn't meant to be uh, recited in a rote way regularly, although there's a place for that. But the main purpose of the prayer is to help us understand what we are to pray and how our hearts should be when we pray. It is not a recipe so that if you get all the ingredients just right, God will answer the prayer the way you hope that God will answer the prayer. But the features of the prayer, the content of the prayer is this. Number one, Father. In other words, you're praying to one who loves you, who desires to provide for you, who loves you more than you can even realize. Next, hallowed holy, set apart, acknowledging that God is truly far wiser than you, God is truly more powerful than you, thy kingdom come, acknowledging that one day all things will be made right. One day God will make everything into what it's supposed to be. And we look forward to that day. And we acknowledge in saying that, that it's not that way now. And that even we ourselves are not yet there. We may, in our idealism, think we have it all figured out, but we don't. And to pray, your kingdom come, is a prayer of humility before the will of God. Give us today our daily bread. Again, that is a, an ongoing thing. Give us this day the bread for this day. Acknowledging that it is now that we are relating to God and that tomorrow we will relate to God in a different time. And tomorrow, tomorrow's concerns are not what we need to worry about because God will continue in an ongoing way to provide for us. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who owe us. And it's interesting, you know, we, we talked in our small group about what, what that means to forgive us our sins. Why, why is it sins here and debt somewhere else and it's um, trespasses somewhere else? You go down the street and there are trespassers and Here we're debtors, and somewhere else they're sinners. And what what does this mean? Well, it means that there are different ways to express the fact that we have missed the mark with God. There are different ways to express the fact that we have missed the mark with each other. In fact, in Luke, the word that is used is the word for sin, hamartia. So forgive us our sins, but then he goes on to say, as we forgive those who owe us. And that's where the whole idea of debtors comes from. And then we find elsewhere, forgive those who trespass against us, forgive our trespasses. It's all really boils down to sin. So we're asking for forgiveness. And we're also expressing that if we truly understand that forgiveness, we will forgive others. Because God is gracious to us, we should also be gracious to others. And finally, lead us not into temptation. In other words, keep us safe, guide us. Scripture assures us that there will always be a way of escape when temptation comes, and God provides that way. And that praying this prayer keeps our eyes open to that way of escape next we have a story jesus tells a story about a neighbor who has a house guest that he didn't expect and um wants bread from his other neighbor who is from his neighbor who is asleep It's after midnight now. um, In our small group, the video explains that there was usually just one oven, a bread oven, shared by a number of families, and the one who had the oven most recently would be the one that has the best, freshest bread. And the neighbor knows that his, his neighbor, his friend, recently had the bread oven, and so therefore has the best, freshest bread. So he goes to that neighbor and he knocks on the door and said, "I need the bread." Well, they're friends you would think that the friend would say, "Oh yeah, we're good friends. I I really I really care about you. I'm going to give you this bread." But the guy says, "You woke me up. The kids are asleep. If I get out of bed, I'm going to wake the kids up. My house will be in turmoil and I really don't want to give you the bread." And on the strength of the friendship, wouldn't have given him the bread. And there's something to be said maybe Friendship makes you less likely to give sometimes because, you know, the friendship is good and, ah, eh, I like you well enough to say no to you. But that's not the case here, or maybe it is. But what Jesus is saying is, it was the audacity of the request that caused the friend to give the bread. Not the friendship itself, but the audacity. And what he's saying to us is pray. Pray. Pray audaciously. Pray boldly. Present your request to God. Pray in such a way that you are a little bit careless as to whether it's convenient or not. And God, who loves you, will hear you. And then we find... The next section where he says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receive the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened and that's the part that causes us some grief because we think initially that it means everything we ask for we will get we think that this is a formula for getting what we want However, as we read on, we find what we truly need, and we find that God is gracious to give us that. When he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Of course not. So when you pray and God answers your prayer, know for certain that whatever the answer might be it's not harmful to you it is not something that will destroy you because God is good it may not always be what you asked for however and sometimes it is better in fact almost always it is better because our understanding is limited and God's is bigger whether it feels better or not it is good. And yet, we think we know what we need. And we think when we get what we think we need, we'll be happy. And yet, so often, that is not the case. There's a man who uh, was on a spiritual retreat, went to a Benedictine monastery, and uh, he was guided to his room by the senior monk and, and uh, explained, the senior monk explained to him and said to him, if you, if you need anything, please feel free to speak to any of the other monks who will gladly tell you that you don't truly need it after all. Which reminds me of when I was a youth pastor again, and we would go on trips, and the kids would all have, well, it it changed during my years in youth ministry from Walkman with the headphones in their ears to iPods with the earbuds in their ears, but always they seemed to want to have something in their ears connected to some other source of information It wasn't usually during my talks. But I thought it was even rude to have those in on a van ride. Because here we are together, and it's a time for us to build relationships with one another. Why would we want to isolate ourselves into our own little worlds? So I would say okay, at the beginning of the trip I'm going to collect all these devices and I'll keep them for you. I'll keep them in a safe place and um, you will not be using them. Now, there was invariably one that I would find that was not where it was supposed to be. It was most often at night when we were in our bunks and I would see some kid with something in his ears. And I would say, You weren't supposed to bring that with you. We were supposed to store those away. And I would hear, but I can't get to sleep without music. And I would say, yes, you can. Now, I was a bit stubborn with the whole thing, and maybe I was wrong. Maybe they could, well, they did get to sleep. But my belief was that they'd be better off on occasion realizing that they don't need something they think they need. They need. God knows better than I do. So when God says no, it is truly something you don't need. And then, the most I find the most interesting part of this passage is the very last bit. If you then, though you are evil, and this is not a blanket declaration that you are the most despicable of all, possible things but what Jesus is saying is you though you carry the image of God though you are greatly valuable because you carry the image of God you also carry around with you sinfulness a failure to comprehend from God's perspective a failure to be as good as God is and your sinfulness clouds your judgment your sinfulness clouds your understanding so Even though your goodness is clouded with sin, with evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the one who is not clouded in any way by any sort of evil give good gifts to you? The word says give the Holy Spirit to you. I believe that what Jesus is saying is prayer is a gift from God in which you ask God for relationship with him. Yes, in the process of building that relationship, you ask God just like a child asks his or her parents for things and that builds their relationship. Whether the answer is yes or no, there is understanding that is created. But prayer is for us to present our request to God, for us to present ourselves to God and receive from God and the number one thing that God desires to give us is the Holy Spirit. Romans 5:5 5, 5 says God will pour his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In other words, prayer exists. To build your relationship with God, to build your connection with God, to allow you to experience God's presence by the Holy Spirit. And your life of prayer will take you through times where your idealism is met with God's grace. And it will take you through times where God's grace is hard to see but you're forced to trust that it's there. In other words, bring together the wisdom of age knowing that God is good, even if my agenda isn't met. With the idealism of youth, never lose the faith that God will answer. Never lose the trust that allows you to ask God. And as those two come together, your relationship with God will build and grow. That's what prayer is about. Let's not miss the opportunity.